And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Top Dog Talk podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Reno. There is co-host Dan Kiley back here on a Tuesday night. A wonderful Tuesday night after a Georgia win. Dan, how's it going today? You know, the sun was a little bit brighter today. My food tasted a little bit better. I was a little bit sweeter. The world is just right when Georgia wins a football game. Hell yeah. And it's great to be back with you because, like it is, it's season time. We are week zero out of the way, week one out of the way. We are moving on and into more meaningful football. And with that being said, let's go ahead and jump right into today's episode because we got a lot to talk about in a short space of time. So with that being said, let's jump into the hot topics of the week. First off, should college games be played on Friday nights? Uh, No. That's the short answer is absolutely no is the long answer. And the reason is because high school football is such a special opportunity for so many guys, right? This is their opportunity to get to play to the game they love. Most people's career ends at the high school level. Only, what is it, like 2 or 3% of the high school players actually go on to play college football. So that is a very special time and it's for a very limited, uh, a limited time in somebody's life. And College football is encroaching on that area. You have all of the days of the week. There's six other days you can play on, and I guess they can't play on Sunday, although uh, Florida State LSU says, hold my beer. we got Sunday wrapped up. But it, it's it's a very special time in a high school player's life, and most high school players want to watch college football on Saturday. So I, I don't know. It, you know. Everybody has their own opinion. I'm sure you're going to have your own opinion. I just think – that high school football should be left alone and Friday night should be specifically for high school. And, and I think college coaches, like, would you want to play on a Friday night? Because then that means you can't go out and recruit. You can't go out and see people play. So I, I don't know why they started doing it. I don't think it's necessary and I don't think it should be done. And it drives me crazy. You know, I'm not all too opposed to it. I'm not opposed to having one or two games on a Friday night, especially when you get kind of like a slate like they had last week where this past week, actually, where it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, thanks to Labor Day weekend, you get a slate of really good football games. And this weekend, despite some of the games being sloppy, like LSU, Florida State, uh, I, I don't know if I would consider Clemson, Georgia Tech sloppy, but hey, I'm all for more football. And especially, I'm not the biggest pro football fan in the world. I'm not diehard about it. You know, I watch it. I have my team that I support and all this and that. But I love me some college football, man. I, I There was nothing better that I did this weekend other than sitting there and watching some college football. Whether or not it was me covering Georgia or watching Florida State and LSU have an entertaining, sloppy football game. Because that's what I love about college football is the fact that it's going to be sloppy. It's not going to be to perfection every single play. And there's the drama that goes with it. But, Dan, I'm not too opposed to it. Like you said, though, obviously for college coaches, you want to be on the road. You want to be on the trail recruiting all these young talent. So – the end of the day, I, I see why we don't want to have it. But hey, who, who you know, if you can't play on a Sunday, you can't play on a Monday. You know, college football games can't be playing on those days because that's the NFL's real estate. Why not put it on a, on a Friday night when you know you get that weekend off started, kind of like a little preseason, a little pregame, Dan, uh, for those college football games coming up on the weekend. Uh, with that being said, moving on to our second topic of the day, not really. Well, it is a question, but it's more of a you know. It's definitely going to bring out some some great things here. Um, actually, just one great thing because we were limiting it to one. And I, I guess we can kind of keep this going forward 
um, for the next few weeks if we all agree if we both agreed to it. Dan, what sure. is the mo- what was the most impressive thing or most interesting thing you saw this weekend from week one? So there is a lot of good to choose from, and I'm going to try to for this segment. I want to try to stay away from Georgia because. It's very easy for me to just say something from the Georgia game. And and there's always going to be something awesome in the Georgia game that grabs my attention. So for the purposes of this exercise, I'm going to try to stay away from that. Okay. So, you know, honorable mention was how quickly Caleb Williams and, and, um, uh, what's his face? Oh my gosh. I just went blank. Caleb Williams and the the devil, according to Stoddard. No, well, yeah, Lincoln anyway, Riley, Lincoln Riley. How quickly that entire crew has assimilated or assimilated together and been able to operate at a high level. Okay, so that's like honorable mention for me. But I, I want to say, <laughs> you're gonna laugh. Georgia Tech made it a game for three quarters. Like I, I didn't think that there was any way on earth that could possibly happen. And I, I was leaning towards Notre Dame making the game with Ohio State. But, listen, they're a top-five team, so they're supposed to try to make that a game. But if we are being honest with each other, and, listen, I hate Georgia Tech. I hope they lose every single game. And they're still on track to do that. Um, <laughs> but those kids actually played really hard for three quarters. And then I think they just ran out of gas, and then their coach is a bumbling idiot. I mean, their coach made some decisions that just blow – like. You don't see high school coaches making the clock management decisions that he does. But I'll be completely honest, those kids and, – and, you know, we may not like Georgia Tech, but I don't ever have anything against the kids because it's an opportunity to play Division One football at a, at a major school, and I, I don't hold it against them. So I just don't like school tech. But those kids play their balls off for three quarters and or two and a half quarters and really kept that game close – and the whole entire world didn't think that was going to happen. I know you didn't think it happened. I didn't think it was going to happen. Stoddard, Williams, none of us thought that that was going to happen. Hell, Brooks, I'm sure, didn't think that was going to happen. So for it to be a game that long, I was impressed. And that's the purpose of this segment, is it not? It is exactly the purpose of the segment. And, you know, I just I do want to add the biggest mistake, and, you know, looking back on Georgia Tech's program over the last 10 years, and it's not, you know, everyone was excited. Even the non-tech fans were excited when they hired Jeff Collins and they were going away from the triple option. But that was the biggest mistake they've ever made was leaving the triple option because you're not going to be able to recruit the caliber of athlete that all these play- programs, other programs are doing at an elite level going forward. So I think that was the biggest mistake. going to be interesting to see where they go if they do not keep with Collins after this year. I love me some Jeff Collins. I think Jeff Collins, you know, there's some good traits about him. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a good football coach. Just runs into a buzzsaw there in Georgia Tech. But moving on to my most impressive thing of the week, Dan, you got to see it coming. LSU, Florida, Florida State. What the hell happened? How in one game can we have not one, but two kicks blocked? How can that happen? And it's the same thing over and over and over again. It is the same side of that, you know, I don't even know what to call it, the offensive line, you know, for the PAT, for the special teams group. It is the same side every single time, okay? Every single time. Jason Brown, the old Independence Community College head coach over at uh, Last Chance U, 
it, be warned, it is NSFW because he drops some very bad, uh, some some curse words, some choice words. But it, it just shows you the lack of coaching. That is what it came down to. There was no coachings, coaching on that special team side of the ball. But not only that, Florida State beat LSU. LSU is the only team in the SEC, Dan, that is starting out 0-1. Not Vanderbilt, not Auburn, not all these teams everyone talked about was going to be a train wreck. LSU. All right. I, I, I liked the Brian Kelly hire, you know, after thinking about it for a little bit. I'm like, okay, going away from a hard hard place to recruit at Notre Dame, hard place to play. You get your molly whopped every time you go to the playoffs over there. But now you come to the LSU where football is everything in the state of Louisiana. The Pelicans aren't shit. It is football country down there. And he's managed to start off on one. I am buying stock in Mike Norvell, though. I do like what I saw on offense. I love the development of Jordan Travis, but having two block kicks in one football game is ridiculous, and that needs to be cleaned up real quick. Also, what's going on with the receivers down there? A lot of a lot of mishaps. You had two muff punts, Dan. I forgot about that. Two muff punts. You had four blunders on one special teams unit. That is ridiculous. Well, I tweeted immediately after the game, I would not want to be the special teams coaches at LSU right now. Uh, listen, Brian Kelly has a, Ooh, what a history. What a fact. Was it? All right, read it. Legitimately, the only coach to follow Kelly to LSU was his special teams coordinator. Ah! Damn. Well, Zachary uh, Moss, shout out to you for that. Hey, we appreciate the contribution to the show, my guy. So, listen. It, it, Brian Kelly has a history of going off on people. He has a history of being selfish. He has a history. I mean, if it was this. It was on this day last year. He went on national TV and said his entire team needed to be executed. Do you remember that? I remember uh, that. I remember yeah. sitting in the living room and saying, what the heck did he just say? I remember the discord for Brooks Austin blowing up going, wait a minute. Did that man just say his entire team should be executed? Listen, if you watch that game, he was going after coaches and he was MF and coaches left and right. And, you know, his post game was rather embarrassing to be completely honest. He went before he's like, We did this wrong, we did this wrong, we didn't play hard, we made this mistake, we did this many turnovers, but yet here I stand before you almost coaching this team to an overtime. I'm like, bro, come on. Like that's like that's Bush League bullcrap, but I I I feel bad because I was on record saying that I thought Brian Coach was a better coach than a better coach than people gave him credit for, and then he acts the fool. But I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. Hey man, we both put stock on him. I like that hire. I thought he was going to turn that program around. I guess it kind of hurts when both your coordinators, well, one of your coordinators gets promoted, and the other one says, "Nah, I'm going to stay with this guy because I like this guy." Tough situation. But with that being said, Dan, it is time for Dan's rant of the week. Dan, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Well, my rant of the week is going to be pretty self-explanatory. Harrison, if you wouldn't mind doing the honors, roll the video, sir. Up against an old friend and Dan Lanning. Well, it wasn't about Dan Lanning. You know, I mean, it really wasn't. I saw him before the game. Um, got a lot of respect for him. We talked about talking after the game and, and you know, telling each other tendencies or ideas we had to try to get better. Um, we agreed not to share with other people because it only hurts both of us. And he's... He's got a lot of respect for that. You know, we, some of those players were out on that field. Dan Lanning recruited. 
And Dan Lane did a tremendous job for the University of Georgia while he worked for the University of Georgia, and now he's working for Oregon. He's going to do a really good job at Oregon. He's relentless. And they'll bounce back from this, and uh, he knows that we, that we got better players. And uh, he'll never say it, but he knows we got better players, and I respect how he works. Really simple. Kirby Smart has a lot of respect for Dan Lanning. Kirby Smart went to a press conference, and he was sticking up for his guy. Dan Lanning is his guy. He he, like I said, a lot of respect. He followed him from the to the, from the University of Alabama, where he could have stayed, to the University of Georgia, took that leap of faith. He was rewarded because of his intense work ethic. Everybody who follows the University of Georgia knows how integral he was on that defensive side of the football, not necessarily because he was the idea guy, but because he worked his backside off. He recruited a lot of the guys that we love, the guys that have been playing lights out for the University of Georgia. Dan Lanning is responsible for getting those guys to show up. So what did you expect Kirby to say at the press conference other than stick, you know, he's not going to stick it to Lanning. He's not going to be like, well, of course I knew I was going to kick his butt as a better coach. He said, Dan Lanning did a fantastic job while he was here at the University of Georgia. I know that he will do a fantastic job for the University of Oregon. Today was just simply we had better players. And then Akili Smith, who had a very productive college career, obviously didn't work out in the NFL for him. He goes on Twitter, and that's where that video was from, and said that every Oregon player should take this personally. Why? Why? I mean, like, why? Like, you know, what What did he want Kirby to say? Did he want – I don't understand this whole – this this world that we're living in now with these players where if you don't come out and kiss their butt, they, they, they're they emotionally hurt and just they take it so personally like, oh, my gosh, we you know, the, he came in. Like, what did you want him to say? I mean, honestly, he could have came out and said, we absolutely destroyed them 49-3 because they're trash. He could have said that. And you really couldn't say nothing about it because you had 40 minutes or however long the game is, 48 minutes to to prove me wrong or 60 minutes. I don't know how long is the game here. But he could have been like, you had all that time to prove me wrong and we just embarrassed the hell out of you. We could have done whatever we wanted to. We slowed down. I wasn't taking shots down the field. Hell, my quarterback looked like Superman minus the leotard. And – we weren't taking shots. Hell, I put my backup quarterback in, Carson Beck, and he carved you up like he looked like freaking Joe Montana. I mean, I don't know what you wanted him to do. He was protecting his guy. He was he was going out there showing respect to Dan Lanning that Dan Lanning, came, while he was here at the University of Georgia, did an amazing job. And he feels like, given time at Oregon, he will do an amazing job. He just said tonight he was outmatched. I don't, I don't see what's wrong with that. And and Achilles Smith, you can miss me with that. You can just miss me with that, bro, because he he didn't disrespect your program. He didn't disrespect your players. It was just a simple fact that tonight we were the better team and we just had better players than you guys from top to bottom. That's all I got. Absolutely. It all comes down to alignment, assignment, execution, and really it's about who has the most talent. Like Kirby Smart said, he's pointing out the obvious. I mean, if there is a TV analyst that goes on national television and says, "Yeah, Georgia has better players," are we going to take that for? Are we going to take that? 
as like an insult? No, that's just a fact. Georgia had the better players at the end of the day, and Georgia was the better coach team. And I don't think it's really surprising to anyone us, to any of us on the Georgia side of things, whether you cover them, whether you're a fan of them. We all knew Georgia had better players. Not discrediting Oregon. Oregon had good players. They had some great players out there. They have two first-round pick inside linebackers playing on that defense. But at the end of the day, as we're going to get into later in the show, Georgia out-executed them. You go back and watch the tape, there were some blunders in that or on that Oregon defense. You wonder, hey, that ain't right. I mean, there's one, there's one, there's one play. I don't remember what quarter it was in, but Georgia lines up, trips to the left, three by one set. And it's it's obviously a shot play. It's a it's a shot play to Kyrus Jackson on a little fade route, slot fade. Not one, not two, three Oregon defenders go with Kyrus Jackson, leaving Lab McConkey. Five yards downfield, five yards away from Stetson Bennett. Just a little check down to Lad McConkey. He's wide open in the flats. Lad McConkey takes it 10, 15 yards. Explosive play. That doesn't, that shouldn't happen on that play. Three players should not be going with Karis Jackson up, up just anywhere. Three players leaving someone wide open. That should not happen, okay? Yes, it is a reason why Oregon lost, but at the end of the day, Georgia played a lot better. Georgia played a better game. This is not a game where you could say, oh, yeah, Oregon. if the Oregon's running back catches this ball, it's a different game. No, it's not. Don't even try and play yourself into thinking that. And, and Dan, I did see, we put it up to the comments. I don't think Kirby was out of line. I think he was speaking truth. He was speaking truthfully. And actually, I think to begin the press conference, maybe a little bit later after this clip, he even said to the media, he reminded Dan Postgame about the fact that in 2016, Kirby Smart was down 30 to nothing to Ole Miss in his first year. Ended up at halftime. Ended up losing 45, I think it was 45-14. Bad loss. Very bad loss. I think that's one of the worst losses Kirby Smart has had in his time at Georgia. So to the Oregon fans out there, the ones that think Dan Lanning's not ready, the ones who think Dan Lanning should have won this football game, give him time. Give him time because Kirby Smart went 8-5 and five with a program in 2016 that perennially was a 9-10 wooden football team. You're not going to turn around, hire a football coach, and expect him to go out there and start picking up where you left off. It doesn't happen very often. All right? I don't care what the hell Lincoln Riley does out at USC. He brought in 20 players from the transfer portal. Dan Land did not. You're not going to infuse a program with all this new talent. And, I mean, really, you don't have time anymore, it feels like, in college football to install a whole new system on both sides of the ball. It, it, it seems hard to do. So don't take this as a shot. It's just a it's a point of improvement for Oregon. I still we, we explained it over in the four wide podcast. You can go find it at four number four wide pod on Twitter. Go follow the account. You can also find them at uh, on YouTube the four wide pod number four on YouTube. Not the, the letters, not the not the name four spelled out. Anyways, we explained that yesterday. We talked about that yesterday. And with that being said, we're already talking a little bit of Oregon. So let's go into our thoughts and reactions from this game this weekend, Dan, because it was a hell of a game. A lot. Yeah, that, that was my little rant right there. Um, but it was a hell of a game for Georgia. Hell of a time. Kind of, I, I, I didn't, we didn't, I don't think we saw it coming per se. I don't think we expected the beatdown that Georgia gave them. There will be some fans out there that said, oh yeah, Georgia's going to kick the crap out of Oregon. Maybe there are some, but I don't know if you truly believe that considering they're a top 11 ranked team. But Dan, thoughts and reactions up first, man. There's nothing else to talk about right now. There, th- This is numero uno on topics. Georgia's offense was elite. They came out on fire. 
They scored touchdowns on each of their first seven drives. The only other team to do this, Dan, over the last 15 years was Ohio State last year when they did it in the ass whooping they gave to Michigan State last year. That game was not competitive, just like this game. Ohio State's the last one to do it. Ohio State, by all means, is an elite offense. At least that's what people say each and every year that Ryan Day's been there. Oh, yeah, Ohio State, elite offense. All right, Georgia just matched that. Stetson Bennett was the QB for six of those, for the first six drives. Then came in, second team offense, Carson Beck got the seventh straight touchdown before a three and out in the first full UJ offensive drive in the first quarter. Ended that streak. They, they could easily could have gone for eight straight scoring drives. I, you know, you keep the starters in, they could have set a whole new record. So with that being said, Dan, I think it's pretty clear this offense could be special. I mean, all the talk this offseason about 15 players from Georgia going to the NFL, a modern-day record for the NFL from one program, 15 players, eight of which were on defense, and that brought up all this regression talk, oh, Georgia's defense is never going to be the same, this, that, and the other. Well, not even talking about what they bring back, Dan, this is just they're, – they're eating their crow. They are eating their crow because Georgia just shoved it right down the number 11 team of the country, and now you got people asking questions of, is Georgia this good, or is Oregon that bad? Well, yes. The answer is yes to all of the questions. One of the things that we said last year was that this team was being carried by the defense. Well, the offense didn't have to do a lot of different things because the defense was so dominant. We just had to get a lead, and then we could coast out. But I always said last year, well, I wouldn't say said. I always ask the question, is it a case of we can't do it or we don't have to do it? And I think what Stetson is showing you right now is it was a case of we didn't have to do it. And I think Kirby was very comfortable. I think that a lot of times when a coach doesn't have that national championship, he is scared to mess it up. Kirby will never admit that. He'll never say he was nervous or anything like that. It's, you know, he's super macho, a type, a confident, whatever. But I think in the back of his mind, there was always that, man, I just don't want to mess this up, man. I just don't want to mess this up. I'm sure that when they had those conversations in offensive room and they're like, yeah, yeah, we could be aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. We could be aggressive, but just whatever you do, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. Now Kirby has that national championship. He's got that monkey off his back. Now it's his opportunity to be like, you know what? We're pretty damn good. And we have an opportunity not to just win football games. We have an opportunity to look really damn good while we do it. And this was the first football game that I can recall in the Kirby Smart era era where I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, we were doing so many creative things offensively. I was like, oh, oh, hell yeah. Did we just, oh, yeah. I mean, I was so excited by the way we were moving people around. I was so excited by the way we were using misdirection. I was so excited because we were moving people all over the place. And they said it on the broadcast. I don't remember. Um, I think it was Blackledge, right? Blackledge was the color guy? Blackledge and McDonough. He, yeah. He was like, Oregon has no idea where they're getting hit from. He's like, they are a puncher in the dark and just getting punched from all directions. They have no clue how to stop this. It was awesome to watch. The only time I've ever felt like that watching the game was when Alabama was doing it to us. When they had Sarkeesian, they were running plate guys all over the different places, and they were just beating us from every different angle. And you're like, I, I have no idea how to stop it. Like, what, what do you do? I have no idea. What do you do? And Oregon was in that situation. They had no idea. And Stetson F. and Bennett, 
Holy hell, hell yeah. I, I said in our group chat, he may have had more important games. He may have had drives that were superior to that game. He has never played a game from snap to snap that looked like that. He, not one time. And I said this in our group chat. Not one time during the entire game did I go, what the hell, Stetson? Not one time. His incompletions made sense. He got rid of the ball. He got out of pressure. He moved people. He got into right place, out of right place. Not, not one time in that entire game did I say, what the hell, Stetson? He played fantastic. He played better than fantastic. He played damn near a flawless football game. Maybe his his numbers won't show that. It won't say that he was flawless. But he played about as flawless as you could possibly play. And when he threw the ball, they were good balls. He, they were they were where they're supposed to be on time. Beautiful f- football plays. I Stetson F and Bennett, man. How about that? And what's so great about that is, you know, we put it in the show notes. Stefan F and Bennett um, is, you know, his middle name's Fleming. So I was like, holy crap, let's get creative here, Dan. And let's put that in there as a caption for what we're about to talk about. And, and you say he played near flawless. I would argue he did play flawless. Most of those incompletions he had were throwaways. I think at least two of them where he just got out of the pocket and threw it away. And that's a big improvement for him because as Brooks Austin has said in his film study, if you watch him out, there is a tendency of Stetson's back in over the last few years to play hero ball, to try and do it all in one play, try to get it all back when really you don't need to. You can just get a little bit back or throw it away. Stetson, Stetson got out of the pocket under pressure and threw it away. A lot of improvement was really decisive where he put the football. It was really accurate with where he put the football. I mean, Dan, that slant he threw to Adoni Mitchell when Brock Bowers fell down, the play was obviously designed for Brock Bowers. That was the first read. It was a whole field read by Bennett, and he hit Adoni Mitchell on a slant. That was not open. That was not even NFL open. He had to throw him open. He had to throw it to his inside hip, throw him open, and make sure it was the only place where his guy can get the ball and not the defender. Smart play. That is an NFL throw right there. An NFL throw. Throwing guys open something you don't see very often from a guy who apparently is not NFL quality or does not have NFL potential. And at the end of the day, Dan, you know, there's really only one play where he even admitted post game that he kind of went out of his way and did something he, you know, shouldn't have. And that was the probably the Heisman moment of this season for him. If he goes to New York, which I think many people are beginning to leave, he's going to be in New York. It is going to be because of that play to Lab McConkey, where he scrambles outright, scrambles all the way back left, makes like four Oregon defenders miss, and sees Lab McConkey sitting in the back corner of the end zone wide open. Wide open. That is the Joe Burrow throw against Georgia, where Joe Burrow scrambled all the way out and hit a on-the-run Justin Jefferson. That is... A, a Heisman moment at its best from Stetson Bennett. And you know, the crazy thing about that play is they didn't even cover him. He was completely uncovered from the very beginning of that play. Like there was no, like it was, I, I believe you were the one that said the defensive end had no idea that, that he was responsible for that guy, but thank God he didn't because I mean, yeah, but just a wherewithal for Stetson to be able to find him on that play. It was just incredible. I, I, and you know, um, Rudes right here said, how about that offensive line? That offensive line gave him all day. And they were moving guys in and out. Like, I I have a bad habit of not really paying that much of att- that much attention to the offensive line, um, especially when they're playing well, right? Because if you don't know – it's kind of like an umpire. 
the best umpires you don't even know they're there, right? Because the whole point of being an umpire is like to to it's not about you, it's about best the corners, game. same thing. Yeah, yeah. The, so offensive line, the best way for me to know that you did your job was to not ever have to say your name. And I, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there were guys that missed assignments. I'm sure there were guys that didn't block well uh, on certain plays. But for the most part, they were rotating in. I, it, didn't you say it was like eight or nine guys? Or was it ten? They played a lot of bodies at offensive yeah. line. I mean, there was two and, reps where Roy McClendon was playing left tackle and Mary Smith was playing right tackle. I mean, Devin Willett. That was the second drive. Warren Erickson even came in. That was the second drive. They were moving people around. So that, that, makes, you know, that gives you the question of, have they found their best five? Like, is, no, is I, this offensive line settled yet? Because I don't think it is. I don't think it is either, and I think that they don't really have any wrong answers right now. And I, what a great, fantastic place to be in. Now they are going to have to, at some point, settle on five or six guys. You know what I mean? Like a, a like, hey, this is our group. This is our go-to. But I, every opportunity you have to play more guys, especially if they're all having success, you want to do that. Um, but then our tight end group, we knew they were going to be good, but my God, did they put on a show. And we didn't even really get to see uh, Eric Gilbert or Eric Gilbert really do a whole lot. Um, but when he did get in there, he was productive. I mean, he had a um, a great block on the Kendall Milton touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. Um, did a great job. Um, Lad McConkey just continues to impress. And like, I think one of the coolest things for Lad McConkey is all the national media is tweeting out Lad McConkey stuff. I don't remember exactly who it was, but um, it was a a it was a well known public figure. Uh, it was like it might have been NFL coach or something. It was like Lad McConkey is giving people nightmares, and I mean you said it best. You're like every time he touched the ball, I thought he was going to score. And I, I 100% agree. Lad McConkey did a great job. A.D. Mitchell did a great job. Um, Kiaris Jackson did a great job. And, you know, good for him. I don't think we got to see um, Don Blaylock, did we? Did he get any action? He, he got some reps with the twos, but he didn't make any any plays. Uh, no catches. Okay. I know Eric Gilbert didn't record a catch, but the one time he was targeted. Um, I, 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 you know, going back and watching it, it was really the only place Carson Beck could go with the ball. But it really wasn't. I mean, it was – a glorified throwaway. Like if Eric Gilbert caught the ball, it was going to be an insane catch. He was in double coverage. It was to basically his back shoulder. It would be a one hand catch if he got it. Uh, so, I mean, really, I'm not pulling that much from Eric Gilbert's performance other than the blocks, which I know people say, you know, Kirby Smart specifically says he has to be more consistent with that. And that's why we probably didn't see him until later in the game. They want to ease him back into things. This is his first time playing football in over two years. So we're not going to throw him out there to the Wolves. And like Dan said, the tight ends were magnificent. Darnell Washington showed a type of athletic ability we hadn't seen at all last year because he was coming back from that foot injury that he had at the beginning of the season. And he showed exactly what he can do. I did like how they were targeting him, Dan, because it, it is a, mis, a a common misconception that Georgia does not tar, does not design plays for Darnell Washington. They do it a lot. That play on the goal line where I believe it, it ended up being a uh, on the slant pass to Adoni Mitchell that sets him to throw him open. To me, it looked like they were trying to find Darnell up the seam on a little, you know, throw it up to him because he had a linebacker on him. And, and, and sadly, he just couldn't get enough separation to get up there. Plus, he had a safety over the top, so they couldn't get it to him. But they designed plays for that, man. But when he gets the ball, he's just as special as all, all the rest of them. I mean, hurdling Absolutely. defenders, if you go low, he's going high. If you go high, he's going right over you. He's going to run you over, and you're going to be sitting there looking at, looking at him like, holy shit. 
I don't want to tackle that man again. So I, I, I really like it. And Dan, in, in the show notes, we say weapons, weapons everywhere. When you're running back, Kenny McIntosh is your leading receiver, has 100 yards after the catch. It was a damn good day. Because I'm looking at the top four guys right now, Dan. We have it on the show notes. Kenny McIntosh, nine receptions, 117 yards. McConkey, five for 73, a touchdown. Adoni Mitchell, four for 65, a touchdown. Kyrus Jackson, three for 45. Nowhere in there do we mention Brock Bowers. And, and you know, kind of. Oh, he had a good game, though. Credit. He had a good game. Great game. They try, I mean, Brooks put up that, that clip of him getting jammed at the line of scrimmage by two Oregon defenders. He breaks free and hits a crossing route. And, you know, what I love about this team is they're – I love that between last year's team and this year's team, they have bought into the team concept. Like, you don't I – mean, listen, I'm sure there are people who get their feelings hurt. I mean, obviously, Jermaine Burton got his feelings hurt. At least the one thing that I will say about in defense of Jermaine Burton is he didn't bitch about it last year. He didn't make it about him. He didn't complain. He waited till the season was over. He didn't like the situation. He got out, went to Alabama. They're featuring him. Good for him, right? That is the one thing I will say in, in, in defense of that guy is he did not cause the scene. None of these guys in there. Look, Kendall Milton came out of high school as one of the highest rated backs in the country. I told you I felt like Kenny McIntosh was going to be a more of a focus in this offense. And through one game, only one game, he was. And he is a extremely productive player. I have maintained from day one that I love Kenny McIntosh. I thought he was going to be special. And he showed in the game on Saturday that he is special. But Kendall Milton's special too. And that young man Dejan has Edwards done nothing. Special. Yeah, Dejan, well, you know, I already know I'm a Dejan guy. Oh, I, mean, like, I'm a Dejan, I was Dejan. shocked by his speed. I didn't know he had that much juice in him. You see him running oh. outside the tackles. I didn't realize he had that much juice. Oh, I, listen, I'm a big fan, but I was just uh, let me my, my to finish my, my point on Kendall Milton <laughs> is Kendall Milton only had a handful of carries. Kendall Milton has not really been a featured back at any point so far in his career, but the guy continues to work his butt off, and then when he does get opportunities, he makes the most out of his opportunities, and that I I think that. Just the way that he handles himself sums up the way all of these guys at University of Georgia, because they have so many stinking weapons, any one of them. And I guess I say all that to say, if they wanted to make Kendall Milton the focal point of this offense, it would still be a really good offense, right? But they could take Dejon Edwards. Hell, they could take Savion Clark and make him the focal point of the offense, and I think they would be productive because they have so many freaking weapons. And the offensive line blocks so well. Um, I, I just... We are so blessed with so many weapons on this offense. As long as we can keep everybody just a little bit happy, which is going to be incredibly difficult to do because, again, weapons, 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 weapons. But, um, oh, my God. But we have gone on and on about this offense. Harrison, why don't you get us started on the defense? Real quick, I do want to give a shout-out real quick before we move on. Just like you said, I mean, this was one of Munkin's best-called games I think he's ever had at Georgia. I mean, you already mentioned how they stretched Oregon's defense east and west. A lot of misdirection. You were motioning running backs, uh, receivers. You were even taking your offensive line, adding a little misdirection, going away from the play and then going back the other way uh, with the ball. But like, like we've already we've already broke down the defense, uh, the offense. Talked about them extensively. Now it's time to talk about the defense because yes, you held them to three points on offense, which is by all means an outstanding game for Georgia. 
it was a good defensive performance. But as Kirby Smart said, there is a lot to improve upon. So, and, and he probably wouldn't say it was a great performance. He would say it's a good um, because just the fact you got him, held him to three points, I didn't expect that. I thought Oregon was probably going to spend, you know, score 17 to 20 points, uh, and Georgia would obviously probably double that. Uh, but you, you had some turnovers, Dan. That was the great thing. The secondary looked so deep. I mean, so much depth in there. You had a freshman, true freshman, my God, a freshman, Malachi Starks, one of Dan's guys, maybe one of the greatest interceptions we've seen from not just a freshman, but from all the DBs that we've seen at University of Georgia and all in college football. A dive, I mean, going back, running, you know, he had to flip his hips, get in position, make that, and then dive backwards to go make that play on the ball. One of the best picks I've seen. Christopher Smith, probably the guy on this defense, the leader in that back end probably in all that defense, jumped another play. It, it was either a skinny post or a slant route. Don't really know to tell you for sure. Jumped it, made a very similar play to what he did against Clemson last year. Another great play from him. Uh, great to see that he's making some some plays on the ball again. You're really going to need him to step up at safety. He's also making some incredible plays coming downhill, Dan. I mean, that one play where he met the Oregon defender at the line of scrimmage, got him for a loss, was incredible. That is the exact – like it's a similar play to what Lewis seen did last year in the national championship game. Absolutely insane play. It's great to see him showing off some of that hip power. Also great to know that it was just a stinger that he suffered when he hurt his shoulder. But Dan, we, we, we do have to talk about some of the improvements. You didn't get a sack at all in Bo Nix. Yes. It's hard to do. Yes. He's mobile. Yes. They had an experienced offensive line, but I think something people are going to look at, have some questions about you surrendered 140 yards on the ground to Oregon. So Georgia played a little bit of a don't a bend but don't break type of defense where they were allowing Oregon to move the football at times. Oregon was moving it pretty well. I I don't remember. I don't know if you have it in here. The notes I, I didn't see it. I, how many times did the the dogs force them three and out? I don't think it was many. Maybe one or two. I'm not, not that I remember. Yes, yeah, it wasn't very many. Oregon picked up twenty one first downs and Georgia had twenty six, yeah. so it was pretty tight. I, for Georgia to have only given up three points based on the amount of yardage that Oregon got is actually astounding, to be completely honest. I I, I thought that they were going to I, – I thought that Oregon was going to score. I really did. I thought they were going to score. And then they were moving the ball. And, you know, one of the bugaboos that Georgia has had is mobile quarterbacks kind of get to them a little bit. And Bo Nix did. And, you know, there were a lot of Oregon fans saying that if Georgia does not face or force those turnovers, that this might have been a, a closer game. Well, ifs and buts, candy and nuts, right? I mean, whatever. But Georgia did face those or force those turnovers. and But they didn't get the sacks. They didn't get any fumbles. They Again, it was kind of like a, a bend and don't break. It was kind of like keep it in front of you and then made the plays when he had to. Um Again, it's early in the season. They had a lot of guys with a lot of inexperience. My thought is that they're going to tighten up, right? They're going to be more, start becoming more aggressive. They're going to start taking some more chances. I really felt like, and this is my opinion, and I could be 100% wrong. I'm not a defensive coordinator, and I don't claim to be one, and I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn. I just felt like they didn't want to get beat by a big play. And I really felt like they just wanted to keep it in front of them and just make the plays. And they did a good job of that. And they kept them out of the kind end of zone. Kind of similar to so the it, game plan against Alabama in the national championship. Right. It was just yeah. 
Because I mean, like you said, they put up 313 total yards, 21 first downs. That's a pretty damn productive day for an offense, especially against a Georgia defense. Like, that's pretty damn good. Now, if, if I tell you a team's got 313 yards and 21 first downs, you're like, oh, they scored 17, 21, 24 points. Like, nah, bro, they scored three. Huh? It doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. And, and really, you know, Oregon's kind of lucky they got those three points because, I mean, really it was the unnecessary roughness call on Kamari Lasseter that's kind of debatable at this point. I don't know if it's really – I don't know if it should have been called, but I guess I see why it was called. Oregon's very lucky to get those three points. I'm actually – I was actually thinking, you know, watching it live, I was like, holy crap, what if Georgia just blocks the kick and gets this one back? Would have been but awesome. Would have been I, just like, you know – what did you think about that unnecessary roughness on the tackle? Like, I saw that exact same tackle 10 or 15 times this week. And that, and that was the only yeah. one that – I have no – the whistle wasn't blown. What was he supposed to he, – he tackled him. Like, like he didn't throw him on his head. He he just he, – all he did was turn him over. Like, that one blew my mind. I And, like, even the rules guy in the booth is like, mm, I'm sitting this one out. Because that was it, it, it's a tight one. I, I don't think it was though. I, I really think if you know if I was the one having to throw the flat, I wouldn't have thrown it. I don't think it was because, like Dan said, there was other hits like that, probably other worse hits like that throughout the weekend. I mean, shoot, when you look We're at the, the Chris Smith call, one, wasn't called. Probably. I mean, I look because... at the look at the unnecessary roughness on Justin Flo. Was that hit the same egregiousness as the one that Kamari Lasser did? No, that was not far in a worse. million years. That was far worse, and really, I was going to say that when you're talking about George's protection on the offensive line, that wasn't on the offensive line. Stetson Bennett was sent back there for five, six seconds just chilling. Uh, and then, you know, Justin Flo said, well, shit, I can't let him just sit back here all day. I got to go get you him. You realize so he where he came but, from? Oh, from the side. He was getting in coverage, was he not? He was Either he was in he coverage came from or he 20 was yards away. He had a 20-yard head start. It was That was crazy. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's twice. No, no, no. You're all good. So, yeah, it wasn't like – Dan actually put it in a really good way. It's Ben, don't break defense. I think they will tighten up as they mature, as they get more experience. But what's really exciting to, to me is, I put it on the timeline today at Harrison Reno on Twitter, Georgia has right now, at all indications, they have an elite offense. They're going to be able to play a multiple multitude of different ways. They're going to be able to run the ball 40 times one week. They're going to be able to throw the ball 40 times one week. They can do whatever the hell they want week to week, and they're going to have their way. I don't see a game on this schedule, Dan, that makes me say, ooh, I think those people can beat Georgia. I know. All the hot take artists out there, all those people that get paid on television to get views, get clicks, say, oh, South Carolina's going to do it. Tennessee's going to do it. Kentucky's going to do it. I, I, I don't see them doing it. I mean, Tennessee, I think Tennessee is one of the only teams on the schedule that can score with Georgia. You're going to have to convince me a hell of a lot more that South Carolina can. You're going to have to convince me that Will Levis has some dudes at wide receiver. So Kentucky can, because I don't see it happening. You know, after watching them and the way that they chose to play on Oregon, you have to look at it one of two ways, which is the way that I described it, which is they just didn't want to get beat. They didn't want to, they just felt like as long as they didn't give up the big play, they would be fine. Or you could say they, 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 they were just protecting a young defense are going to get more aggressive because Florida with Anthony or with yeah Anthony Richardson, he's a mobile guy that can run. I we still don't know how great of a passer he is, but 
he can run and he's built like a freaking fullback. So that gives me pause where like maybe that game is going to be a little bit more interesting than we think. Um, and then, you know, with Hendon Hooker up there at Tennessee, I think that game's going to be interesting. Listen, I think Georgia's going to have some interesting games this year. But to your point, am I scared that Georgia's going to lose a game? I'm not scared of anybody. I I think they're the only team in the country right now that I'm like, I don't feel good about it is Alabama. And like, I listen, I know we beat Alabama last year and I enjoyed the heck out of it. And maybe it's recency bias where some people are like, oh, we could just beat them. Or maybe it's uh, history bias where I'm like, they always kill us except for the one time. So I don't like Alabama is the only team where I'm like, I'm not excited about that game. Every other game I'm like, bring it. Absolutely. And with that being said, Georgia doesn't really have a contest this week. They're playing Sanford. They, by all means, they should kill. They should blow this game out of the water. Justin Bennett should only be in there for a couple drives, if that, if they even decide to play him um, at this point, because, you know, for obvious reasons, they can He'll sit play. whoever they want. But he, he will play. And we're going to see a lot of young players. We thought we saw a lot of young players this weekend, Dan. We're going to see a lot more this Saturday. Of note, here are some of the young players that started. Kind of, a, it's a reverse of a trend that we've seen over the years, where Kirby Smart defenses play veterans early on until those young guys come up and beat them out. It was a veteran-led team, but now it's it's inexperienced. They played Michael Williams. He got the start at defensive end, former five star. Played both Jamon Dumas Johnson, Pop, and Smell Mondon at inside linebacker. Started both of them. You saw Javon Ballard started at, uh, at star, a position we thought William Poole was probably going to take after the way he played in the National Championship game and down the stretch last year. Malachi Starks played a lot of snaps early as a true freshman in that Georgia defense, made some really great plays, and actually looks like our people are already saying he's going to be a freshman All-American. Dan, I want to get your take. Who are you excited about seeing a, either more of or a lot of this weekend? Well, for me, it, it all – and I'm listen, Malachi Starks is amazing. He's my guy. I, you know, I, I've been telling anybody that will listen about him for the last four years. I mean, you hear a lot of guys who are like, Oh, I know everything about him. Like y'all weren't around y'all weren't here four years ago, you know? And once he got his fifth star, that's when everybody started talking about him. So you hear all these guys talking about, Oh, I've been telling you, nah, they ain't been telling you nothing. Malachi Starks has been that dude for the last four years. And I've had the opportunity to see 25 of his high school football games. I want to see somebody else say they can say that. They can't. But anyway, for me, it's Branson Robinson, dude. I cannot wait to see that guy just mow people down. Did you see the body on that guy? Oh, my gosh. But, like, you have some guys listed here like Dylan Bell, Nylon Green, uh, Jaheim Singletary, uh, Dalen Everett. Um, is uh, Morissette, is he healthy? Did you know if Morissette's healthy? Yeah, so that, that's the guy that I want to see. I mean, they have so many of these young guys, but for me, Branson Robinson, um, I, I just I cannot wait to see that dude get just turned loose. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> dude, that guy, like my wife was like, my wife was like, oh my god, like that guy's massive. I was like, dude, he's eighteen years old, and she was like, there's no way that kid's eighteen. I'm like, that kid is eighteen. And she looked at my son and she's like, you don't look anything like. That. Oh my God. Yeah, but I, I think we're all excited to see that dude tote the rock. I want to see some Dylan Bell at uh, receiver. You know, there's a lot of talk about him coming out of fall camp that he was going to be a dude. Uh, a lot of high praise from Darren, Terrence Edwards, uh, you know, an all time receiver at the University of Georgia, probably the all time. He is the all time career leader in 
receiving yards at University of Georgia, and I think even receptions, both categories at University of Georgia, praised him a lot. Excited to see him. But, I mean, with that being said, there ain't, there ain't much more to talk about because, I mean, we've already I, – I don't think there is a Georgia podcast out there, maybe the Classic City Sports podcast, that is going to go as in-depth on Oregon as we did this week, guys. I really hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the game because it was a hell of a game for Georgia fans, hell of a game to cover, uh, just covering Georgia. A lot, of, a lot of fun things to watch and, and definitely a game worth going back to watch because Georgia's offense put on a clinic for what we hope to see over the next few weeks. I don't think they're going to spread it out and, and, and you know throw it 37 times this week. It's probably going to be another 40, 40 run attempts type game because Georgia should be up by like 30 by half. So with that being said, that is Dan Kiley. I'm Harrison Reno. Follow Dan Kiley at Dan Kiley if you're on Twitter. Follow us at four, number four, wide pod on twitter make sure you check us out that podcast is live every monday at eight o'clock then you got the classic City sports our friends and co-hosts of that show jonathan williams dr jonathan williams and the stod father jeremiah stoddard who was not here tonight um for excuse absences reasons uh go check them out they got a classic sports podcast at seven at eight o'clock tomorrow wednesday night and we'd like to thank all of the the, the homies in here jonathan williams zachary moss uh, Rudes, we thank you guys for joining us. You guys, uh, we really appreciate your interaction. Please like, subscribe, share, spread the word with your friends. Please help the podcast grow. We love doing it, and we want to continue to do it. And the only way we can do it is if you guys help us grow. So please share with all your friends and, and make sure that we can make this the best podcast ever. Absolutely. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button here on YouTube. If you're over with us on podcasts, subscribe to the podcast, rate it. Five stars, give us a review. Hey, maybe we bring you on to the show one time. You can do a little call-in segment with us. Guys, that's going to wrap it up this week. We'll see you next Tuesday night, 7.30, same time, same place. See you next week.